Hey there, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast, Walking with Dante, a podcast in which we slow walk through Dante's masterwork comedy. We are coming to the very end of Canto 30 of Inferno. We are way down in Lower Hell. We're at the last of the evil pouches, the tenth of the Malabolcha that make up the giant circle of fraud, the eighth circle of fraud. You can't do your math to do this right. <laughs> We're down here with Master Adam and Sinon and Potiphar's wife. We're with the falsifiers. We have seen alchemists. We have seen impersonators, particularly legal impersonators we have seen counterfeiters and now we've seen some really epic liars people who gave false testimony in court and in fact it's going to go on if you remember master adam is so plagued with dropsy that he can barely move his belly is so distended but he has made a kind of off-handed reference to sinon the guy who lied to the trojans and got them to open the door for the wooden horse Sinon didn't like the way he was described, that he smelled like burnt grease. His fever was so high. He smacked Master Adam in the stomach. It rang like a drum. And we are off to the races. Canto 30, my English language translation from the medieval Florentine. You can find it on my website, markscarborough.com. You can read along there and even drop a comment. Here we go. And Master Adam turned to smack that guy in the face with his arm, which seemed about as hard as the other guy's fist, and said to him, Even though I weigh so much that the range of motion in my limbs is almost nil, I still have an arm supple enough for just this sort of work. Whereupon the other replied, When you were on your way to the fire, it certainly couldn't move so quickly, but it could do that much more when you were counterfeiting. And the guy with dropsy, You speak the truth, although you were sure a lousy witness when they quizzed you about the truth at Troy. If I spoke falsely, you falsified coins. Sinon said. I'm down here because of a single fault, whereas your faults are more than any demons. Liar, keep the horse in mind, replied the one with the swollen belly. May you be tormented because the whole world knows about it. And may you be tormented by the thirst that cracks your tongue, the Greek said. And may you be plagued by the fetid water that blows up your stomach to hedge in your view. Then the money mentor. As always, your mouth gapes open because of your disease. If I'm parched and bloated with my humors, you're burning up and have a pounding headache. To lick the mirror of Narcissus, you would need an invitation with very many words. There's our passage between Master Adam and the Greek who convinced the Trojans to open the gate and let in the wooden horse. This is actually a far more complicated passage than it may first appear. It's 
very funny. We want to talk about that and why it's funny. It may be particularly personally funny to Dante the poet. We want to talk about that. And then we want to talk about a couple of larger issues that arise out of this passage. Remember our question two episodes ago on Virgil's silence? Remember that Virgil has been silent for a very long time, and in fact, he will be silent for a total of 169 lines, the longest silence so far in comedy. Well, here's another question. Where's the Pilgrim Dante? Dante the Pilgrim has been completely sidelined. This hasn't ever happened. We have had figures talk amongst themselves, <laughs> like the hypocrites. We have had figures talk with other people nearby them, Francesca with Paolo, or Ulysses with Diomedes. We have had figures speak near each other, those three Florentine, perhaps, homosexuals in the circle of the violent who form the ring circling around and around and around. But again, they were talking to Dante. It has been a rare occurrence that the damned are not interested in the pilgrim. But here, Dante's just gone. He's out of the passage. This is a unique moment in Inferno in which nobody seems interested in Dante. Remember Master Adam's big speech and his soliloquy about his counterfeiting and how full of hatred and rage he is at the counts who made him a counterfeiter and all that bit and pulling himself along an inch every hundred years or whatever it was. Remember that stuff? That was all extremely solipsistic. Now is the payoff for that solipsism because now that self-involvement has turned the poem from its protagonist. It has turned the poem away from Dante. And this scene goes down with nary a word from the pilgrim, much less Virgil. Let's look at the scene for a minute for its comedic value, because it is funny in its very dark and twisted way. So Master Adam gets smacked by Sinon, and then Master Adam turns around and smacks Sinon in the face with his arm, which it says seemed about as hard as the other guy's fist. We should take this as more dropsy or edema. He's so bloated that his skin is just about a bursting. That's the first bit is his physical condition, even though I weigh so much that the range of my motion in my limbs is almost nil. I still have an arm supple enough for just this sort of work. And then Sinon replies back, when you were on your way to the fire, remember counterfeiters were burned at the stake, and Master Adam is probably the Adam burned in 1281 for counterfeiting. When you were on your way to the fire, it certainly couldn't move so quickly. This is actually a very dark joke that Sinon tells because criminals were led to the stake bound. So Sinon is basically poking at him and saying, you know, hey, listen, you couldn't move much when you were bound and on your way to your execution for counterfeiting. 
And then they come back. Master Adam says, you speak the truth, but you're a lousy witness when they quizzed you about the truth at Troy. <laughs> wow, isn't that the truth? And then catch this joke. Sinon comes back with a joke. If I spoke falsely, you falsified coins. I'm down here because of a single fault lying to the Trojans about the Greek horse. I'm down here for a single fault, whereas your faults are more than any demons because you made lots and lots and lots of counterfeit coins. The joke here is that Sinon seems to be taking a quantitative analysis of evil. Hey, I only did one thing wrong, dude. You did thousands, hundreds of thousands of things wrong with all the coins you counterfeited. This is absurd for two reasons. One, a quantitative analysis of evil is not Dante's point, rather, evil represents a set of horrible ethical choices. And whether that leads to one big act lying in front of the Trojans or lots of acts falsifying lots of coins, it doesn't matter because it all stems from a system of a corrupted will. The quantitative analysis of evil is silly, and it's also silly because they're in the same place. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Clearly, it doesn't matter if you did 10,000 sins or one sin. You're both here in the tenth of the evil pouches. While Sinon's got his big high horse on about who did more faults than the other, does it matter? One of you got dropsy, the other of you has a fever so rank you stink like burnt grease. Master Adam goes on, keep in mind the horse. <laughs> Listen, buddy, if you think your one little fault was such a little minuscule, you know, hey, I'm just here for one little lie, just a little lie to those Trojans. Remember that whole horse that came in the gates full of those wily Greeks, replied the one with the swollen belly. And oh, there's a joke here, even in the text, because the horse's belly is swollen. The horse that comes into Troy is swollen with Greeks. And so the one with the distended belly is like the Trojan horse with its belly full. And then Master Adam says, may you be tormented because the whole world knows about it. You know, you, listen, buddy, I counterfeited and nobody's going to ever remember who I was. You know, I mean, once I was burned at the stake, I'm done. You, you're famous. You, you're the liar that brought the horse in and Sinan goes on, may you be tormented by the thirst that cracks your tongue. Remember how badly Master Adam wants a drop of water. May you be plagued by the fetid water that blows up your stomach. And then here's more of the joke to hedge in your view. Remember that we've already encountered the fact that Master Adam is so bloated he has boundaries or frontiers. So his stomach is so big, it's a hedge. You can't even see over yourself. You're so fat. And it keeps going on as always. Master Adam says your mouth gapes open because of the disease. I'm parched and bloated my humors, but you're burning up and have a pounding headache. And then the final joke. To lick the mirror of Narcissus. 
Oh, this is so debased and vain. Remember Narcissus, the boy who doesn't seem to notice the nymph and falls in love with his reflection so much so that he won't pay any attention to the woman who wants him. And so he offends the gods and they cause him to kind of fall into his own watery reflection. And he ultimately in Ovid is turned into the flower from which he's name is given Narcissus. That Narcissus, the self-involved narcissist, that one, okay, the mirror, that's the water. So, you know, listen, if you could lick the mirror of Narcissus, you wouldn't need an invitation with very many words, you fevered old man. Again, we're back to water. Not only is it a joke in a cruel, dark way, but we've been at water all along from Thebes and Troy that opened Canto 30 in which people were throwing themselves into the water or finding their dead children on the riverbank. All the way through this pit, we've been concerned with water and we've come all the way down here to Narcissus. We want to talk a lot more about that, but let's just look for a second at the progression of the insults. Both these figures are rather high-born. We get the idea that Master Adam comes from some place that would cause the counts of Romaine to trust him to be a counterfeiter. And certainly the commentary tradition is that Master Adam is born of high station. Same with Sinon. He is of noble birth. He was the comrade and close friend of King Palamedes. So both of them are of high station, placed very close to royal courts because of their high birth. And yet this is a complete progressive degradation. It first becomes insults about their physical conditions, about who can move more quickly than the other. Then it becomes a contest of faults. If I spoke falsely by implication once, you falsified lots of coins. So it's a contest of whose faults are worth. Then we get the crossing invectives. May you be tormented because the whole world knows about what you did. Well, may you be tormented by the thirst that cracks your tongue. And then finally, it comes down to a dark irony about their very diseases. Who feels worse? It's like two guys laying in the hospital having a fight about who feels worse. I'm parched and bloated with my humors. You're burning up and have a pounding. I mean, who's got it worse? You're worse off than I am. No, you are. No, you are. You did more sins than I did. No, you did. It is completely degrading. Think about street fighting. Think about a kind of match of wits. Think about a match of insults that gets bigger and bigger as it goes along. Not like a celebrity roast on TV. And if you know that reference to a celebrity roast on U.S. television, you are as old as I Yes, I am. Good for you. You then caught my reference. It's not like a celebrity roast on television. Instead, this is a contest of insults that keeps getting lower and lower and lower until it lands on Narcissus. 
Narcissus is a vain figure, so in love with his own reflection that he cannot love the nymph who loves him. He cannot find any pleasure in the world around him other than looking at himself. An incredibly debased figure who will now be mentioned in the 30th canto of each of the three canticles of comedy. Canto 30 of Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso will have references to Narcissus. Over the course of comedy, this image will become renovated and Dante himself will become the new Narcissus or the redeemed Narcissus. You watch. By the time we're at the 30th canto of Paradiso, Dante will be the redeemed Narcissus who is looking and finding his own reflection in the person of the Godhead who took on human form. Oh, this is so complicated. And Dante is working this out so beautifully that this reference to Narcissus here becomes a unifying device across all hundred cantos of comedy. So let's talk about a couple implications that can come out of this debased form of trading insults. Notice that Master Adam and Sinan are twinned. And listen, I have told you this over and over again, and it is so true. The 10th pit of fraud is all about twinning. A couple episodes ago, we even passed another example of twinning, and I blipped right over it because I did. It, we, I was on a roll, <laughs> as I usually am, about other things, and I didn't want to just interrupt and say it. But if you remember the first time we see Master Adam, it, we we're told that his two lips curl in different directions. It's twinned throughout. We've had those two alchemists, we Capocchio and maybe Griffolino. Now we've got these two trading insults. We had the two rabid souls that ran up so much twinning. We should stop and just think about that for a minute. There is a way here in which these two, Master Adam and Sinon, are debased mirrors of each other, like Narcissus looking in his mirror. Is there something in fraud that is about twinning? What is it about fraud that invites twinning? Is there something down at the nature of fraud in twinning itself? Narcissus is twinned in his myth, in the story, in Ovid's Metamorphoses. He's looking at his own reflection. This is the coming notion that is developing across Western civilization of the uniqueness of the self. Now listen, there is no Freudian concept of the self in the Middle Ages the way we now hold to that concept of the self. But nonetheless, we have seen over and over again individualized sinners in the damned. This is one of the things that makes comedy so interesting. There are plenty of other journeys into the afterlife written before Dante and even after him, and many of them do not differentiate amongst the damned 
including much of the progress through the afterlife in the Aeneid. But inside of here, we've met all kinds of people. Filippo Argenti, Ferranata, Pierre de la Venia, Brunetto Latini, so many figures, Ulysses, Guido de Montefeltro, and more even ahead of us. And these, Master Adam, right here, so much individuation. The self is unique and expresses itself uniquely as an attribute of its selfhood. And yet here in this last pit of fraud, people are so self-involved from Capocchio to Master Adam. Is that part of the problem here? The, how do I say the self-involvement a fraud compromises the uniqueness of the self. I actually said that, and I'd have to go <laughs> and think about that. I said that off the top of my head, but I'd have to think about that. The self-involvement of fraud compromises the uniqueness of the self. Isn't that interesting? How can self-involvement compromise uniqueness? But I think it's sitting here underneath these passages. I think we're seeing it here. And I think that there is so much twinning going on here, so much mirroring in this last pit in so many different ways. Listen, counterfeiting is mirroring. Alchemy is mirroring. Impersonating people is mirroring. Lying is kind of a form of mirroring, a mirroring the truth, distorted mirroring. It's all distortions. And yet it's all based on mirroring of some side. As we approach the bottom of fraud, the bottom of this giant circle of fraud, is that what we're coming to? That in the end, fraud is a distorted, mirrored perception, not only of other humans, but even of yourself. Many critics have seen this episode between Master Adam and Sinon as a comment on Dante's earlier poetry. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this. It has to do with a form called the tensone. The tensone was a form popular, fairly popular, in Dante's day in which poets wrote back and forth to each other, generally in insulting ways. Dante himself takes up a tensone with forese donati. Remember, we've already crossed some donatis here, and I told you that forese donati will appear later in comedy. Well, Dante takes up an insult contest in poetry with Forese Donati. I should tell you that the tensone really is coming from a French form, the tenso, or the tonso. The tonso is a form that develops in southern France in oh, the beginning of the 12th century, along in there. So we're talking the 1100s. It arises mm, sort of along the same lines as the troubadour poets, the poets of love, who we have spoken about so much. Their tonso 
Provençaux or their competitions are written in Old Provençal. And it first starts out as a witty verbal jousting in rhyme. Think about the word tension underneath this word, tensone or tonso. The point is to pull a thread tensely. And it starts out kind of a verbal conflict, a joust in rhyme. Sometimes it seems like in the Provencal tradition, the poets would work together to create them. In other words, it wouldn't be, I write a poem and I send it to you, and then you write a poem and send it to me, and then I write a poem back and send it to you. Rather, we both sit at a desk and we kind of work out the whole rubric of the tonso together. Sometimes Sometimes it also seems as if uh, one poet is actually making up both sides of the argument in the old Provençal. There's some reason to think that some of the tonso are written in that way. They're very autobiographical. They're very amorous. They tend to be morality jokes, but about the sexual immorality of each of the figures. Sometimes they veer off into political themes. They their their tone varies from the serious, but mostly it veers way toward the satirical in this Provencal school. This school is picked up from this Provencal tradition by the Sicilian school of poetry in the early 1200s, and it's picked up in these learned Sicilian courts, and it starts to change. And one of the ways it changes is that the Sicilian court preferred sonnets in the call and response of the two camps of insults. And the sonnet form is already complex. There's a turn built into the structure from the eight line to the six line bit. There's a turn or a twist in a meaning or an answer. It gets more complicated because it's not only a back and forth, but sonnets inside themselves have a natural back and forth. By Dante's day, this form has come up from Sicily, up the Italian peninsula, and the tenzone that Dante practices, well, they are drawn on both these old Provencal and Sicilian models. Dante himself wrote, as I told you, Attenzione with Forese Donati, and it's a set of six sonnets, three by each, and it presents a conflict over masculine identity, masculine sexuality, family honor, and it's all very comedic. Comedic is actually, to me, the wrong word for the tensione that Dante engages in with Forese Donati. It's more bitter than it is anything. It has a very sharp edge. I'm going to tell you two things about this. Scholars point out this invective challenge between Master Adam and Sinon as Dante's reflection on his tensione with Forese Donati. What no one can actually answer is whether Dante is here dismissing his earlier attempts at a witty poetic contest with another poet. In other words, the thing that I used to do is no better than what these idiots are doing way down here in hell. Others claim that Dante is here invoking his tensone and he's remembering his own poetic roots as we approach the foundation of hell. So the ad- the question here is the attitude of the poet. Is the poet 
using this discourse between Master Adam and Sinon as a send-up of his former poetry, as a remembrance, a commemorative of his former poetic ways? Is he somehow remembering a simpler form of poetry and almost having a nostalgia for it? There are critics who say that. It's difficult to work it out. And here's one thing <laughs> to make it even more difficult. Recently, a critic, Maro Cursietti, has argued that the tensone that Dante wrote with Forese Donati are fraudulent, that they are falsifications, that they are deliberate falsifications written in the early 1400s, get this, in a homosexual street slang that would be unknown to Dante. Cursietti's argument is that Dante never wrote any tensone. Instead, someone copied a form and attached Dante's name to it. What I'm telling you is this entire long argument about how Dante's former poetic contest is reflected in this passage may not even be relevant. Why do I complicate this in this way? Because it's important always to complicate it. Because it's important to keep Inferno and comedy as a whole as an object of inquiry, an object of fascination. If I nailed this down and I said, nah, yeah, this is Tensone, Dante is getting rid of his former form, he's saying, look, I was an idiot to practice this kind of exchange of invectives because here it is being practiced by two idiots at the bottom of hell. If I answered it, it robs it of some of its fascination. And that we can sit here and look at it and say, okay, maybe it is the poet taking leave of his former form, or maybe it is the poet being nostalgic for his former easier style of poetry, or maybe it's not even here at all. Maybe this is just supposed to be low physical humor, and that whole tensone thing that we think we're basing an interpretation on is a forgery from the early 1400s. It leaves this bit as a, at a place of wonder. And I know we are uncomfortable with wonder. We get very mm, uptight in a post-rational world when we don't have a hard answer. But maybe, for just once, it's important not to have a hard answer. Maybe for once, it's important to let the poetry stand as an object of fascination. To that end, I'd like to read the entire second bit of Master Adam, all the way back from line 91, all the way through the end of this passage. One more time, no funny voices, no sound effects, no nothing this time, just the passage itself as an object of wonder. And I, the pilgrim, said to him, those two steaming like wet hands in the winter, the ones stretched out near your right frontier. I found them here, and I don't think they've ever even rolled over, he said, since the moment I rained down this sharp slope, nor do I believe they ever will for the rest of eternity. One is the woman who falsely accused Joseph, and the other is the false Sinon, the Greek from Troy. Because of their acute fever, they reek like burned grease. 
And the guy of the pair, who was offended perhaps being named in such a dim way, smacked his fist against Master Adam's distended belly, which rang out like a drama, and Master Adam turned to smack that guy in the face with his arm, which seemed about as hard as the other guy's fist, and said to him, even though I weigh so much that the range of motion in my limbs is almost nil, I still have an arm supple enough for just this sort of work. Whereupon the other replied, when you were on your way to the fire, it certainly couldn't move so quickly, but it could do that and much more when you were counterfeiting. And the guy with dropsy, you speak the truth, although you were sure a lousy witness when they quizzed you about the truth at Troy. If I spoke falsely, you falsified coins, Sinon said. I'm down here because of a single fault, whereas your faults are more than any demons. Liar, keep the horse in mind, replied the one with the swollen belly. May you be tormented because the whole world knows about it. And may you be tormented by the thirst that cracks your tongue, the Greek said. And may you be plagued by the fetid water that blows up your stomach to hedge in your view. And then the money mentor as always, your mouth gapes open because of your disease. If I'm parched and bloated with my humors, you're burning up and have a pounding headache. To lick the mirror of Narcissus, you wouldn't need an invitation with very many words. We have almost come to the bottom of the eighth circle of hell, the very end of the sins of fraud, almost. We have one more passage here in the 30th canto spilling over into the 31st canto before we can finish off this space and move to a transitional space that will move us toward the final circle of hell. To get there, please subscribe to this podcast, rate it. If you could, just give it a comment like, thanks, or <laughs> doing great, or loving this. That would help so much with the analytics, and it helps me too, because, you know, it makes me think, hey, I'm not just recording Into the Void, and I'm not doing all this work Into the Void. I'm actually <laughs> doing it so that we can walk slowly together. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you next time for the very end of The Sins of Fraud.